Look at my butt. Show number 238 of Look at His Butt, special interview edition with Max Barber. Hello, listeners. We have such a treat for you this week. As you might remember, in a previous episode, we talked about this fabulous book that we had read called Ultra Actors, William Shatner, and the credited author for it is Bunny Ultramod. Well, it turns out that Bunny Ultramod is actually a guy named Max Sparber. And I found Max on Twitter, and I told him that we'd talked about his book, and I asked him if he would be up for an interview, and he said yes. And we just had the most delightful conversation with him, which you'll hear in a moment. But I wanted to take a minute to read partly his biography here on uh, Smashwords. So it says, Bundy Ultramod, a.k.a. Max Sparber, is an arts journalist and playwright from Minneapolis. He is also a member of the punk pop band The Ultramods. But if you go to IMDb, it gives quite a long biography of Max, even though it's called a mini bio, and some really interesting things that I wanted to read here. So skipping over some of his early life, you really should go and read this, but this I thought was most interesting. It says, after several years of political work as part of a thriving anarchist scene in Minneapolis, Sparber moved to Omaha, Nebraska in the late 90s. Here he became involved in the Blue Barn Theater. He penned a play for the Blue Barn titled Minstrel Show or The Lynching of William Brown, which retold the true story of a 1919 murder of an African-American man in Omaha through the eyes of two itinerant blackface performers. Despite being denounced by State Senator Ernie Chambers, the play was a hit and has since been produced extensively throughout the United States, including two New York productions. Sparber has worked as a journalist and editor for the past decade, including having been the editor-in-chief of Omaha's news weekly, The Reader, as well as reviewing theater for City Pages in Minneapolis for three years. He has occasionally made forays into writing and acting for film. And plus, he wrote this amazing book about William Shatner. So it's only uh, five bucks. I would encourage you all to go and buy it because it is just wonderful. We read some excerpts last time. And in the following conversation, we're going to talk about what inspired him to write this book and what some of his favorite things were. So please enjoy. We'll be back next time with a regular episode. So strap in. Thank you so much for joining us on our show. We are uh, just delighted to be able to talk to you and to talk to someone who knows so much about Bill. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been invited. Uh, every blue moon, this uh, book gets purchased from Amazon for Kindle or wherever wherever it's available. And I'm always curious about who's reading it. Well, Does we are... anybody else contact you? Uh, no, I've never been contacted about this. Oh, okay, we're the first. <laughs> oh my God, that's a crime. Uh, well, we're dying to know, how did the book come about? Were these essays you'd written in another place, or did you just go, I need to write a book about William Shatner? Uh, yeah, they started as essays I was writing on a blog I had that was just, that was, like you you say about your, your uh, podcast, it was free form. I was writing about whatever, whatever interested me. And uh, I mean, I've always been a Shatner fan. I always liked... Uh, 
him in Star Trek, and I'd seen him in a couple of uh, films, TV movies, and that kind of thing. Uh, but I wound up going to see uh, a screening of uh, that strange movie he made in Florida. Uh, <laughs> Impulse. Impulse. And was so thrilled with it that I felt like um, I, I needed to personally explore uh, sort of the lost Shatner itinerary, his his lost collection of films. So I, I just went online and I, I went through IMDb and I grabbed um, it, whatever I could find. Um, and I, I think I did a pretty good job. I, I had to go to like this sort of gray market where people were selling um, <laughs> DVDs of stuff that they had burned off of old VHS tapes to find a lot of these. Mm -hmm. um, so it probably took about two years for me to find all of the, the films I wrote about, but <laughs> it was, I have no regrets. It was, it was a really <laughs> pleasurable, uh, pleasurable exercise. Well, as you may have guessed from our reaction, Impulse is one of our absolute favorite uh, works of Bill, and we watch it together frequently. <laughs> That's breathtaking. I think I've exposed all my friends to it. Uh, I think you haven't lived unless you've seen his fight with Karate Pete. <laughs> and the, the big chase through the car wash. I mean... <laughs> The film has a couple of chases in it. Uh, the final 20 minutes are nothing but running through a cemetery. One of the most bewildering <laughs> chases I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I love the fact that they run through the cemetery, and later you realize that there's actually a funeral going on. Yes! <laughs> in the middle of the night. Um, the, the, the music from the, the chase through the cemetery where there's bongo drums playing, and he's calling the girl's name. He keeps going, Tina, Tina, come back here. Uh, we actually have used that on the show as a, um, a musical interlude between segments sometimes because we love it so much. Now, yeah, it's great. Did you see? Where did you see it? Was it just playing in a movie theater, or was it part of like a, a Shatner-oriented festival? Well, uh, I'm in Minneapolis, and there's kind of a small community of fans of, I guess, what you call psychotronic films. Mm -hmm. And this was a college group that that regularly did free screenings of whatever weird film that they discovered, and somehow they had stumbled across Impulse. I don't think I even knew what they were playing when I went there that evening, um, but. <laughs> In some ways, it changed the course of my life, so I'm glad I went. Yes. Um, How many years ago was that? Do you have? Oh, gosh, probably six or seven years ago at least. Okay. You've been uh, maybe busy about, then. You've done a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have seen it uh, in theaters with other people uh, here in the Bay Area. There has been, there was anyway, um, a festival every year that was called Shatfest. That was wow. hosted by a guy named Will the Thrill Vaharo, and he showed different movies for a while, and then it kind of settled on Impulse because it was obviously the best thing. So we've seen it in a theater full of people who were just digging it. So funny. So there's nothing like being in a theater with people who are laughing at all the crazy stuff and observing all the, the small things about it that are just insane, including the, the chase through the cemetery. It it's was a crowd it really is. Oh, yeah. I, I think the moment I realized I was in love with the film is when um, he goes to the zoo and a woman with a bunch of balloons <laughs> walks in front of him. And he just, in a rage, pops her balloons. And I think he says to her, you should be ground up for dog meat. And it's such a mad moment. And I said, well, I, I have to find out what else. What else he's done besides uh, Star Trek. Now, do you know the story of that moment? No, I don't. <laughs> that woman was a fan. 
who snuck onto the set. <laughs> and that line about you should be ground up into dog meat, that was genuine, Bill. That wasn't scripted. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> And that moment is made all the better by his outfit at that point in the, the film because he's wearing that horrible tank top. It's like a circus strongman's outfit. Yeah, it's uh, like a bizarre sailor uniform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the in the film are, are genuinely breathtaking. Well, you know, Bill is a very bad dresser in real life, and it's one of those those cheap films that I think wardrobe came out of the people's own closets. Um, we are convinced that the scene where um, Pete comes to his motel room and says, oh, you're so horny all the time and everything, that that was like Bill's hotel room or the director's motel room or something, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, there's not a moment of the film that looks like anybody put any money into it. <laughs> well, if you look at the credits, you'll see certain names keep coming up over and over and over. And I've always yeah. heard that when, you know, there are people who have more than three jobs on a film, that's one of the signs of this is not going to be a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a, a wonderful, wonderful film. And, and one of my treasured gifts from my uh, wonderful co-host is a still from the film, that, that is Bill running through the cemetery, which I now have <laughs> framed and sitting on top of my piano because it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact that he's supposed to be some kind of uh, vicious, out-of-control killer, but he's completely outmatched by a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, let's talk about some of the other movies because we could probably talk about Impulse for two or three hours anyway. So um, but before we get to the movies, we have a couple of questions that we always ask our guests. And the first one is, when did you start watching Star Trek? Are you uh, like a fan from a kid or did you pick it up later in life? Uh, no, as a kid, um, I don't remember precisely when because I was a tiny boy. Um, it was in reruns, so I didn't see it in the original. Um, I was born in 68, so. Oh, that um, was my thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think I started watching it in the early 70s, um, and I, was re I really became a diehard fan when I was in high school. I started buying a lot of the novelizations and just sort of memorizing trivia about the show. Um, I really became fascinated with both Shatner and Leonard Nimoy's performances on the show, um, and I, I feel like uh, Nimoy in particular is, is in general underrated as an actor, but uh, his performance as Spock is, uh, I think, one of the one of the you know, a really genuinely fine performance. Mm -hmm. um, and so going back and, and I'm, I'm an arts writer in my, in my real life. Um, and so I felt like the exercise of taking a look at an actor, an actor's career over a time period, especially when you look at the, the works that haven't experienced any kind of critical reevaluation, it's a, a good exercise, if, if only to teach you how to write, write about acting. Um, and that was a, and especially when you've got an actor as big as Shatner, it gives you a lot to write about. That's great. Yeah. So um, as you were going through these movies, one of the things that we we loved, um, so I don't know if you you listened to the whole segment where we talked about your book previously, but you used a, a pseudonym of sorts for the book, and yeah. uh, we were both really surprised that you turned out not to be a woman for one thing, <laughs> not just because of the name, but because of the very thing that you were just talking about, the way you talk about Bill and his acting is um, very character-centered and mm -hmm. less uh, image-centered, right? A lot of people who write about Bill 
don't take the time to actually look at the performances and look at the way he acts, look at the choices that he makes. You know, they, they tend to take the surface view rather than looking deeper. And we both loved the fact that you looked really deeply for all of these films at what he was doing and what he brought to each role and how good an actor he actually is in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. Um, and I think <clears throat> I talk a lot in, in the book about how his roles when he wasn't on Star Trek tended to be very weak man. Um, yes. I think in some ways you're forced to go deeper because he's not doing what we you would think of as a sort of stereotypical Shatner role, but but these really crushed men who uh, who are very weak morally and um, you know are very easily bullied quite frequently. Um, and I'm not sure whether this was an accident. I don't know how much control he had over his career, but there's obviously decisions even within roles that you're forced to take um, that actors make, and uh, you know you can't write about. Shatner superficially when you're writing about roles he does, did where he's not playing a superficial Shatner character. Mm -hmm. In the in his early work, when he did so much episodic TV, he played yeah. a number of these spineless guys dominated by uh, their boss or uh, the mother. You know, there were a number of those performances. And because... Um, you know, my main thing was, you know, uh, heroic Shatner as Captain Kirk. In some ways, you know, my initial exposure to those was kind of uncomfortable for me. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's that's a tribute to him, you know, that he, 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 he makes his choices. And it's one of the things I love about him as an actor is good or bad and he has made some bad ones you know in in certain performances. But you you can tell he decided he's thought about this, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, I don't think he shies away from making audiences uncomfortable, even in really small roles. Mm -hmm. he's, he's willing to go for emotional responses that, that are more likely to produce cringes than anything else. And I, it, I think it's easy to mistake that for bad acting, for a bad acting choice, mm -hmm. um, whereas I think it's a really brave acting choice. I completely agree. I feel as a performer, he is very courageous. And these times when I've noticed, oh, man, that was a bad choice, Bill. It was, you know, with the pressure of TV, it was like, we don't have time for another take. Sorry. Right. You know, because <laughs> um, we actually uh, were privileged enough to be on the set of Boston Legal at one point. Hmm. Wow. And they were filming uh, one of those balcony scenes with him and James Spader. And they'd stop and reset and do these things. And in every one, Bill did things, you know, a little differently, gave them something different. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a, a film actor, as a stage actor, you want to be consistent. As a film actor, you want to give the director and the editor as much to work with as possible. Yeah, I have a feeling with any of these films, you could construct a completely alternate film if uh, if you had the the raw footage. Mm -hmm. Yes, you could. One of those performances I was just thinking um, pre-Star Trek was uh, the Twilight Zone Nick of Time, which is one that isn't talked about nearly as much as the the thing on the wing of the plane. But yeah. Nick of Time is so good, and and he is very much that weak man right up until the end of that episode, right? He he's puts his whole yeah. fate into the machine that's spitting out the, the fortunes, and it's not till well, like, 30 seconds before everything's about to fall apart that he finally gets it together and, and you know, leaves the restaurant, leaves the, the table. Uh, but 
that character, he's weak, but he's also vulnerable. And the way Bill plays him it is entirely sympathetic. You don't hate him for being weak. You totally understand his indecisiveness and his fear. And you're really cheering for him to make that right decision at the end. Yeah, and you can imagine how difficult that would be because basically the story is of a guy who sits down at a diner and then almost completely loses everything because mm-hmm. because he can't stop playing a game. Yeah. Um, that could be a tremendously unsympathetic, like it, it could literally be impossible for audiences to sympathize with that. Um, and yet, um, I, I think it's a, a classic episode of the show. It's a really fascinating episode. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I, I actually like that one better than the thing on the wing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just better. It's better in every way. Now he does um, play sweaty panic well. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, have you seen? Um, probably about ten years ago, he and uh, Leonard did a thing where they interviewed each other, and it was called Mind Meld. I've not seen that. Oh, okay. And one of the things that that I just found so fascinating is they do end up talking about acting and their different approaches. And, you know, I just eat that stuff up. So you might want to, even though it's not a performance, it's the two of them sitting around talking, you might want to track down a copy of that because... Yeah, that sounds absolutely great. Yeah. I'd be curious to compare that against against what I thought about his performances. Uh, So, yeah, it'd be be really interesting for me to look into that. Mm Mm-hmm. We have always uh, heard about Bill as an actor, um, that he is the professional. He's always a professional. And that's why he got hired so much. Uh, Despite, you know, he was good looking and he could do all the emoting and all that. But he showed up on time. He knew his lines. He hit his marks. He did a good job every time he was there. And he committed 100% to whatever he was going to do. Um, and, and that's true for the good things and that's true for the bad things as well. Like you were talking about, he, even when he was in a horrible, shitty movie, he like impulse, you know, (laughs) he made those choices and he followed through. And, you know, when you watch impulse, there's Bill, he's given a hundred percent. He is acting his heart out in this horrible, crappy movie, but he is doing it. That's his job. Yeah. I love it. I feel like, um, as a director, um, it's it's much easier to get actors to pull back than to give more. Yes. Um, and so it feels like Shatner goes in and gives as much as he can, relying on the director to say, okay, that might have been a little too much, um, and often wound up with directors who never said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a friend who refers to a lot of those movies um, in the post-Star Trek years as the the feed the family movies because he mm-hmm. had this very large alimony payment to make right. and so it was like if they called him up and said do you want to do this he didn't hesitate he went yes you know he was very serious about that obligation but what I really respect about it is he went in knowing it was crap or you know he toured around doing this uh touring summer stock and everything and it was still this is my job and I don't phone it in mm-hmm yeah, I love these movies. I mean, they may not be great cinema, but uh, they're never less than entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, you never get less than 100% from, from Shatner in them. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I think we uh, were happy to see that you had reviewed one of our other favorite, um, almost unknown Shatner performances, which is in the 10th level. Yeah. And um, that was for us really hard to get hold of, too. I, I think we probably got it from the same place you did <laughs> um, <laughs> from people selling the gray market goods, because for a long time you couldn't get it anywhere. And um, having read so much about it, we we both really liked it. 
um, yeah. and th- thought it was it was well written. And Bill gave a remarkably restrained performance, except right at the end. Um, but it, it's it's a really good movie. I loved it. Yes. Yeah, I think it's an extremely well written movie. Um, it's a and it, it's heartbreaking at moments. Just the the agony that the uh, characters are going through uh, in, in this uh, this experiment. Um, I do love that he does a like a shoulder roll. <laughs> we are so on the same page. <laughs> that is the Can't most gratuitous of shoulder rolls. <laughs> yes. That's the one moment in the film that's really Shatner-ish. Um, otherwise, <laughs> it's a really restrained performance. Mm-hmm. Now, have you seen... The movie, uh, it's on Netflix right now, called Experimenter, which is about Stanley Milgram. No, I haven't. Uh, I, I plan to watch it, though. I really the, the Milgram experiments are really fascinating in general, so I'd love to see another uh, another adaptation of them. Have you seen it? Yes. yes. We watched it together. Is it any good? It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a strange movie. <laughs> yep. Um, but there is a guy in it playing Bill, and he's obviously playing... The bill that is parody bill, you know, he he he's not making him a, a real person with or, or a, even a real actor, you know, it's all kind of cartoonish. But um, Lena, who's the lead guy in it playing Milgram? I can't think of his name. I'm uh, oh um, gosh, it's escaping me now. I'm, I'm a, blanking on it. He's a real actor. I think it's Peter von Sarsgaard. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, the, but the interesting thing too, uh, despite the fact that the guy playing Bill, who's some handsome dude, and he's in other TV shows, the portrayal of Bill as a, a kind of a one-dimensional parody of himself kind of fits with the rest of the movie, where all of the people in it are kind of one-dimensional, and that's the point. It's a very strange movie. It's it's interesting. It's really interesting, but it, it kind of shifts back and forward, back and forth through time. And the, a lot of times people aren't really people. They're meant to be symbols or they have the speeches coming out of them that are clearly meant to just be speeches rather than real human characters who are interacting. So there's a, a very deliberate level of artificiality in it that that works and if they had chosen to portray bill as a as actual bill shatner the actor it would have been weird in that but you should totally watch it it's worth watching yeah and it's it's interesting to find out that it seemed to me that like throughout the rest of his career milgram was doing different variations on this experiment this idea of how far will people go because you know, they believe in the authority or they, they believe they have to obey the authority that's giving the orders. Right. And uh, uh, and how, I mean, I had always heard he, he, he was pretty much drummed out of his profession because people were so upset at his findings. Nobody thought it would come out like that. Yeah, it's disturbing. It had a disturbing experiment. Um, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, useful and instructive. Yeah, but people didn't want to know about it, (laughs) which doesn't speak too well. But, you know, yeah, it is an interesting movie. No shoulder roll. No, Yeah, no shoulder (laughs) roll in that, unfortunately. So looking at all of these movies that that you've talked about in here, are there any besides Impulse that you really like? You know, could you make a list of the top three faves? Yeah, let me think. Um... I love uh, Incubus. Um, is, uh, is, uh, what, what, what language is it in? Uh, Esperanto. Esperanto. Um, 
which I think is legitimately a really arty, weird, interesting horror film. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. I love um, I love Pray for the Wildcats. Um, really? We wind up rooting for him to murder um, Andy Griffith. <laughs> that's an unusual twist. Um, and I really like um, his documentary, Mysteries of the Gods. It's not, it by no means is a good documentary. It's a terrible documentary. But it's an interesting document of Shatner. Um, and I'm sorry he didn't go into the autobiographical element of it, which is that he, he believed he had been also uh, kidnapped by aliens. And so was sort of exploring that uh, through this documentary. Um, there's something about that that I find really kind of moving. Um, and also, it, it's it's a look at an era I grew up in, sort of the '70s, um, complete, completely buying into all this mm -hmm. occult jumbo. Um, I, I I I think I probably like it for nostalgic reasons as much as anything. And I, I love the fact that everybody's got everybody's basically dressed like Doctor Strange in it. <laughs> <laughs> This is true, yeah. I guess in 1976, that was just the look. Mm -hmm. It was one of the first things Bill did where he was starting to uh, realize that he could interview people, which is one of the mm -hmm. strengths that he's played on so much in the last 10 or 15 years. He's really good at interviewing people. We're always amazed now when he's doing uh, a talk show appearance or something where someone's supposed to be interviewing him and he always manages to turn it around. So he's interviewing the interviewer. Hmm. Yeah. He had, he had that a couple seasons of an interview show and it's called William Shatner's Raw Nerve. Raw Nerve. Yes. Did you see that? Yeah. I saw a few episodes of it. He, you're right. He was a very good interviewer. Right. Um, he's genuinely interested in, in people and in the people he's talking to. And you don't find that too much among actors. <laughs> no, no, you don't. That's that's sadly true. We really appreciated the time you spent discussing Alexander the Great um, and, yeah. and pointing out, of course, that that is the prototype for Captain Kirk. Yeah, we, yeah. we really love that movie just because it's such a joy to watch him do this thing that he was sort of meant to do. You know, he's riding horses and he's fighting and he's young and beautiful and he's got all these women and men who love him and are willing to follow him. You can see just how much fun he's having doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's moments when you watch it where it's really hard to believe it's not an episode of Star Trek. You know, <laughs> exactly. Back in ancient Greece or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I really do like that film. I mean, it's a magnificent cast. Um, uh, obviously, it was a pilot, so it was intended mm -hmm. to be a TV show. And I think I, it would have been interesting to see what it developed into. Um but yeah, but yeah, that's a really great one, um, and it's great to see um, early early Kirk, sort of. Yes, I was reading something just recently. It was an interview with Bill because he has a new book out called "The Spirit of the Horse," mm -hmm. and you know he 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 loves horses and he competes and everything. But um, this interviewer was such an idiot. And Bill was explaining how much, you know, he loved horses and how he had been introduced to them and everything. And, um, you know, how he had done some, some work where, you know, horses were involved, like in movies and things. And the interviewer, and Bill did not correct him, said, it's really a shame that there's no 
footage of, of those early works with you on horseback. Oh. And I'm going, hello? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Alexander the Great? I, I just He's riding without a saddle in Alexander yeah. the Great, which is amazing. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like he's on a horse about 90% of that film. It's like they couldn't even get him off of it. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember the film as him being on horses in interior scenes, so I may be exaggerating yeah. it, but... No, but he he remembers that pretty vividly because he does talk about it in the article, how it was difficult to learn to ride like that and um, that he got some of the stunt people to teach him this trick where you roll off the back of the horse so it looks like you've been shot. And, you know, he's he's totally into the stunts and everything, but I I was going, no early footage. What? And all those (laughs) Westerns he did, you know, when he was guest guest starring on TV shows. Mm -hmm. No yeah. horses in those. <laughs> He's on horseback in the White Comanche quite a bit as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just rides. There's like, they're in the desert, and there's maybe three trees, and for some reason he rides under them, and people jump down on <laughs> Which stood out for me because it's like, how is that a plan? How can you count on someone riding under the only three trees around? Yep. But it worked. Oh, that movie, that has absolutely the worst soundtrack I think, in the entire history of film. <laughs> yeah, it was Spanish people trying to make a spaghetti western. And, uh, you know, it's it's on the actual sets that were used for spaghetti westerns because they were made in Spain. But uh, they didn't quite have the uh, the insight into the western that, uh, or, you know, the, the, such a specific take on the western that the Italians did. Um, so mm-hmm. one really odd film. It is. It's so strange. I loved your quote um, when you talked about the score, because we noticed that, too, and it cracks us up every time. You said, the score is mostly small combo jazz, sometimes sounding like the theme to Top Cat, sometimes (laughs) sounding like a beatnik poetry reading is about to break out and never syncing with the action of the film. Oh, absolutely not. Best description ever. (laughs) Yes, that is wonderful. Now, I, I know you're in Minnesota. Are you in or around the Twin Cities? Yes, I'm in Minneapolis. Okay, because um, a few years ago, we actually traveled up there to see a play called The Complete Works of William Shatner Abridged. Did you happen to see that? I was out of town, but I feel like I know the people who did that. Um... I, would be, I would not be surprised if you do know them. It was <laughs> delightful. It was so wonderful. We had a great time. It was uh, completely... Um like a hallucinatory experience because it was all taking place in the mind of William Shatner, sort of with different Mm -hmm. characters from his past appearing. And it it was, it was just so good. And then we were just so happy to be able to talk to the cast afterwards. It it was a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, every now and then I think, gosh, somebody like me here in Chicago should put together like an evening of, you know, um, Star Trek vaudeville or something and have them come in and do that. And we could do this little sketch we do, you know, and just, just, you know, silly, fun Star Trek stuff. But then you get into, well, you know, people don't want to just show up on their own dime and find a place to sleep and rehearse and everything. And it, it just makes me tired. But I think, oh, <laughs> It was so wonderful. It was so good. Um, what, yeah, it's, it's great that people, you know, I, I felt like when I was writing about this stuff, I was writing in a total vacuum. Um, but I, I do see people discussing the stuff online every so often. Um, you know, a discussion will break out about one of these films. And 
It's always fun because then I can come in and say, well, I actually wrote an entire book about William Shatner from this era, which nobody believes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's thrilling to find that other people um, have tracked down this material as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I should say, I don't know why I left this off my list of favorites. Uh, I think The Intruder um, is far mm. and away um, yes. one of his best films. And also, I think right now, an unbelievably important film. I, I'm surprised that it hasn't, uh, it hasn't had some kind of a revival. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and yep. and that's one where, you know, you're not you're not laughing at it when you're watching it or or, or noticing you know things like there's only three trees, um, that. <laughs> no, no, I, I do like how childish he made his character. It was a, it was an uh -huh. early example of uh, him being willing to play a character as being completely unsympathetic, and that's a a rare choice for an actor to make. I know a lot of actors, and they always feel like. Not only do they have to sympathize with the character, but they have to uh, make the audience understand and sympathize with the character. And obviously, Shatner um, had no compulsions about making this sort of craven uh, political uh, character who is is trying to piggyback on Southern racism into just mm -hmm. a despicable, uh, infantile character. And I, I really, I, I really appreciate that he did that. I, I don't think that we're under any obligation to sympathize with people who use racism for, for political gain. Right. Um, and so I think, as I say in my essay, I think casting a Canadian Jew and that kind of a, a character, um, you know, I think Shatner himself felt like he had permission not to feel sympathy for his own character. It's an unusual choice, too, for someone who had aspirations of being a leading man. Mm -hmm. And that that had been frustrating for him, you know, as in the the years um, like just prior to Star Trek, that he was seeing guys like Paul Newman, who was a peer of his. They were auditioning for the same things, getting ahead and being a movie star. And, uh -huh. you know, Bill was not at that level. And some of it, you know, may have been that he chose to do things like that. And what's that? Um, oh, that one that's like um, Rashomon. Um, oh, yeah. Have, you know, these yeah. unusual sort of arty films. Yeah, yeah. That don't really score you or didn't score you any points in Hollywood then. Yeah, another film where he's a tremendously unsympathetic character. I mean, Rashomon is a story about sexual assault. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, it, it's still not a, a easy subject to make movies about. And the fact that he made this sort of grim black and white remake of Rashomon with a, mm -hmm. a couple of other character actors... Um, although it didn't give him, um, I heard him talk about the fact that everybody does these long pauses um, when they're impersonating him, and he doesn't hear it at all. Um, trying to think of who the other actor was, the older character actor in the film. Was um, it um... Uh, Edward G. Robinson? Oh um, yes. He made a film with this film with Edward G. Robinson, and everybody back then when they do. Um, impressions of Edward G. Robinson that would sort of throw in these mm, noises. Um, you know, they'd sort of do his voice and then also throw in these little ver verbal tics. And he mentioned that to Edward G. Robinson. And Edward G. Robinson said, I don't do that at all. I don't know why they, they imper impersonate me like that. And Shatner said, he do did do that. He did that all the time. He just didn't hear himself doing that. So he said, I guess I must do those kinds of pauses all the time, and I'm just not aware of them. Um, so at least that film produced... <laughs> <laughs> that anecdote and that sort of yes. self that, uh, that there might be a, might be something to the impression of Shatner that everybody does. 
Well, I know he told a story that he was watching something on TV with his daughters, and I think they were like teenagers, and somebody was doing an impression of him, and Bill had no idea what was going on. And he said, what, what is he doing? And they said, he's doing you, Dad. And, and they, he said, I don't talk like that. And they said, yes, you do all the time, you know. So. And they well, ought to know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to Shatner's credit, you know, his later part of his career has largely been about self-awareness and mm-hmm. subtly satirizing the way people think about him. Um, and it's something he does extremely well. Um, a lot of actors don't have that level of self-awareness. Yep. Um, w- one of our favorite things uh, in Bill's recent performing history has been Boston Legal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and he very deservedly won Emmys for that role. Uh, and that particular role walked such a fine balance between self-parody and really deep self-realization and there were so many points in it where we were just kind of blown away by the depth of his awareness and his performance where you could see that that character was him in so many ways including all of his fears and all of his regrets and and just everything that's happened in his life Um, it was a real um, very amazing all of it yeah he's certainly willing to mine um uncomfortable uh, experiences, um, and you even see that in his his early work. Um, that that there's just no shying away from uh, moments when he feels discomfort. He doesn't he doesn't shy away from it. He 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 sort of steps into it uh, and and inhabits it fully. Um, and I think that's what makes him um, as big an actor as he is. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons I love. Uh, uh, pray for the Wildcats. So at the very end of the film, he's just walking around in the surf a- after having committed murder and just moaning and crying with agony. Um, it's it, he, he is not holding back, and that's that's a closing image of the film. It's just an incredibly unhappy man standing in the ocean. Um, yeah. that's a pretty that's a pretty rare note to end a film on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there are so many people who say, oh, he's just a big ham. And I would really challenge them to watch certain scenes in Boston Legal, not where Denny Crane is, you know, being cuckoo or anything like this. But there is some incredible, subtle acting going on there that just would blow me away. Yeah, um, he's certainly capable of it. Um, I also just in general don't like it when people complain about actors being hams. I think actors should be hams. I I don't... uh, (laughs) I'm, I don't like boring performances. Um, right, <laughs> right. Go for it, you know. Exactly. Give it all. I don't believe that movies are the real world, so I don't need to see realistic performances. I need to see loud performances where actors are digging and reaching for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the reason why I was attracted to William Shatner. Um, this was meant to be one in a series of books, but... Uh, it just, it's so time consuming. But I was also going to do Nicolas Cage and ah. others who are, you know, sort of famously huge. Uh, mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage has been too much to tackle, but maybe Crispin Glover or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, actors who are completely unabashed about um, about being, being huge on screen. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I, I wish that there was more of it. And, you know, there aren't that many actors, in my opinion, who can really be huge on screen, yet still not artificial. 
Still because human. being big is a, is more of a stage acting thing, and so many stage actors talk about how hard it is to pull back to a level that the camera can handle. And uh, yeah, Chatner's Ch not big because he shouts at the back row. He's mm -hmm. big because he has huge emotions and mm -hmm. uh, and is perfectly willing to uh, represent them, and and incredibly varied in the way he represents them. You know, I. I, you would think that you'd get sick of watching sort of weak, weaselly men, but every one of his weak men roles is completely different from the other. They're weak in different ways and for different reasons. Um, and the fact that he was able to find that much variance in what could be a, a you know, a very unpleasant role uh, makes him an actor rather than a ham, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. We are also uh, quite delighted by many of his appearances on TV throughout the 70s and 80s, where he again played villains almost exclusively, right? Yeah. When he was on Columbo and and uh, Hawaii Five-O, and his willingness to, to do whatever it took in those little roles, uh, including many times terrible hats, uh, terrible <laughs> toupees, terrible mustaches. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, he wound up with big mutton chops in more than a few uh, films, and they look really odd on him. Um, but he, he, you know, he's shameless in a lot of ways, and uh, art is not about shame. Um, so God bless him for it. On top of that, it also puts the films in the era, and it is one of the things that makes, makes these movies so pleasurable, that they're really products of their time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Give, give me big, uh, big collars any day. <laughs> and wide lapels and wide neckties. Really? Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, we have a few other questions that we typically ask people, uh, bringing it back to Star Trek a little bit. Um, have you seen all of the movies with the original cast? Not, not the new stuff, but the, you know, Wrath of Khan, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. I've seen all of the films. Okay. Uh, do you subscribe to the theory that the even ones are good and the odd ones are not so good? I didn't, I have never really cared about the theory enough to investigate it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's a few standouts for me and I think they're the ones that everybody likes. I love Wrath of Khan. I love the one where they go back and get the whales. Um, but I don't know. I, you know. I just enjoy the movies in general. I don't really... I'm not really interested in the idea of good or bad art. I'm interested in interesting or uninteresting art. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's an uninteresting Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. This is true. Um, my own theory is um, as the movies went on and Bill and Leonard each became much more powerful and had a lot more input into what was going to happen, I feel kind of bad that we started seeing more and more Bill and less and less Kirk. And I feel to a certain extent that um, Wrath of Khan and then Search for Spock are probably the last times we saw what I considered to be really pure Kirk. And after, there, after that, there's a lot of, of Bill leaking through, doing things he wanted to do, you mm -hmm. know, rather than, than serving the character, which is kind of surprising because... As, as we've been talking about, he's so committed to, to doing the character. And I think 
though, when you do a certain character, one of the things I loved about those movies was they actually did show these characters getting older and dealing with that. But when you've lived with a character that long, I think it must be difficult to, after a while, find the line where, where the character is and you're not. I think you're exactly right about that. I mean, I know that, uh, that Leonard Nimoy wrestled with it. He, he put out a book of poetry called I'm Not Spock, and then mm-hmm. he followed it with a book of poetry called I Am Spock. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to find where you end in the case, especially since so many people associated Kirk with Shatner. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, you know, there's that theory that his tinnitus has made him a little bit crazy. Um, I, I think that you do start seeing him become more experimental um, in a way, in, in, in the sense that he's more comfortable not, not delineating between a character and himself, um, we, mm-hmm. you know, which works perfectly um, in, in his Danny Crane role. But Kirk is such an iconic character that, uh, that it doesn't work as well to, to not make that clear delineation. Right. Well, and as those movies were more and more successful or, you know, to the extent that they were, which was pretty significant, he no longer had to do these. Well, I I have to I've got to get a paycheck this week, so I've got to choose this. So he could get a lot choosier about what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I think the one he directed is obviously the one that people dislike the most, but it's the one where he really... And I don't think it's a good film, but uh, it's the one where he really did try and ask what is Kirk and what is Kirk's place in the world. I mean, it's so funny. There's a notorious story about Harlan Ellison being brought in to pitch the original idea for a Star Trek The Motion Picture. And he keeps pitching these cosmic ideas and the producers keep saying, no, it needs to be bigger. It needs to be bigger. <laughs> and finally, Ellison in a rage says, okay, the Enterprise travels to the end of the universe and they find themselves face-to-face with the eye of God. And the producers say, ah, it's pretty good, but it's got to be bigger. <laughs> and Nelson marches out in a rage. Well, that's the movie that Kirk made. They travel to the end of the universe and see the eye of God. Yep. I mm-hmm. always wondered if, if, he, if he was in on that meeting and was like, actually, I really like that idea. <laughs> So you, you were saying before that you find something interesting in, in all of the films. What do you find most interesting in, in five, in Bill's film? <laughs> I, you know, I haven't seen it for so long. Um, I loved that it was um, it was as weird as it was. Um, I, I think that we forget how weird the original Star Trek show was, especially the second season. Uh, um it, it felt like a callback to that kind of stuff, the, it really attempting to be big but failing at it. Um, it, it. It's not good, but it's bad in a sort of classic Star Trek way. Um, it's my, the same feeling I have about the third Superman movie, which is not a good Superman movie, but it's exactly like a Silver Era uh, Superman comic book where he was constantly like threatening people on the covers and... They were they were very weird stories, and I was happy to see that weirdness back on screen with uh, with both Superman and with Star Trek. But I'd have to watch it again to really solidify my feelings. But I don't think I've seen it since it first came out. Um, I recently, well, like a year or so ago, tried to watch it again, and you know, it starts out and it's going along. I'm going, you know, this has great story elements. 
and you know you're watching them sort of start to come together and i can't remember where the exact point is but then it all goes off the rails yeah but it's like the first third maybe a little more something like that it's like yeah this this is going places this is good you know and it's also along with the whales we were talking about this recently lena and i um a movie without a villain because mm-hmm. Cybok isn't trying to conquer the universe. He's misguided, but there, you know, he's he's not out to to get anything. He really thinks he's helping people. Mm-hmm. And that's a very Star Trek sort of idea, too. Yeah, it is. I mean, it it harkens back to the first film where V'ger is actually the Voyager probe and is just mm-hmm. trying to, just trying to absorb information from around the universe and not realizing that it's destroying stuff that as it's analyzing it. Um, and they sort of talk it out of it, you know, they yes. destroy the, the alien at the end of, or the alien intelligence at the end of the film. They realize, first of all, it's a product of our own. We, we created this alien intelligence. Mm-hmm. Secondly, there's probably a third alternative. Yeah. It, it does call back to that. And, and Star Trek, the motion picture is also weak in story in some ways, but it does have that huge desire to tell a big cosmic story um and i i love that you know the wrath of khan is a much better told story but it's a much smaller story in a lot of ways you know it's a very clear villain it's really a submarine movie in space i like it when star trek tries too much that's why i like (laughs) you know or or shatner he tries yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, well what i like about when they like did their reset with wrath of khan was it once again became character focused yeah. And um, the first movie was so bad that when the second movie came out, I was like, I don't think I can I can sit through another travesty of Star Trek. And yeah. so it had been open for, and, you know, things used to play for weeks and weeks and sometimes months. Yeah. And it had been open for quite a while when I finally went, OK, I'm going to go see this because I've heard it's really, really good. And I went to a movie theater and it was still sold out. Mm-hmm. And the only seat I could get was broken. So I'm watching this movie in a, a seat that's not quite sitting right. And as that movie went on, I thought, this is the Star Trek I've always wanted to see. Yeah, it was I, completely about the characters. I think I read the novelization before I saw the film. And there's some scenes that were intended to go into the film, but they just cut for time. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a character in it who is. Uh, you, you, the, they barely touch on the film, but the crew are all essentially teenagers who are, are doing a training uh, exploration or mm-hmm. a training mission gets sucked into it. Um, one of them is uh, 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 Scotty's nephew who gets mm-hmm. killed. Um, the, you know, in the book, the family relationship uh, between Kirk and uh, uh, what's her name, the scientist, and the her son, who's Kirk's Carol. Son. Yeah, Carol. Yeah. That's investigated a lot more. And I was like, wow, this is an incredibly sad story. Mm -hmm. Um, And you find hints of that in the film. um, And you certainly see the relationships between the characters being paramount. Um, And and I agree. It it did that. It did that very, very well. Um, And it took took, Sorry. A much better film. Um, I think it because. Yeah, what were you about to say? I was going to say it took Kirk much deeper than he had ever been portrayed. You know, he had to accept he was getting older, which 
you know, I know was from things Bill has said was pretty shattering for him. And it was uh-huh. something he was a bit reluctant to play. But this whole idea of getting older and looking back and looking at your mistakes. And then here's Carol and David standing right in front of him. You know, we TV didn't have time for that sort of character exploration. Yeah. Yeah. It's a film that introduces Kobayashi Maru, which is yes. obviously one of the definitive character elements of Kirk that he that he's willing to cheat. Um, and since the theme of the film is sometimes you face things that you can't cheat your way out of. And he mm-hmm. cheats all the way through the film. You know, he, yeah. he gets off the planet because he's he's lying about the fact that they can't get off the planet. He's constantly mm-hmm. doing these cheats. But sooner or later, you just have to face something um, that you can't sneak your way out of. And I, that that's a really interesting development for Kirk because he was so heroic in the show. He was, you know, oh, yes. when, when he did these little tricks, um, like in the, is it the Carbonite Maneuver? Whichever episode it is where he claims that the ship's got this massive self-destruct. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, Balance of Terror, I think. Um, it It's presented heroically. Like, look at how smart he is. Um, and, you know, he can beat Spock at three-dimensional chess because he makes surprising moves. Um, that goes back and says, no, he's a little bit of a cheat. He's a little bit of a scoundrel when he's doing that stuff. And that, mm-hmm. it, that was massive and and really re- interesting reinterpretation of the character. Mm-hmm. The reason that he does all that, of course, as he says in the movie, is I don't like to lose. <laughs> and this, we, we feel pretty strongly that that is directly connected to Bill's psyche. <laughs> Bill is exactly the same in so many ways. He's super competitive and he does not like to lose. And mm. for us, it, it's just always so amusing whenever he's put into one of those situations where he has to do some kind of competition because you know he's going to win or he's going to do something to make sure that, that he comes out on top. But yeah. that's one of those Kirk connections that we feel just came straight out of Bill. And he when he delivers that line in the movie, he is dead sincere about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, we've watched like game show appearances i mean who cares about a game show he oh, is yeah. absolutely determined that he's going to win that money for those people and yeah and there's you, one is it the pyramid one where he yes, yes. <laughs> he is not happy to lose no, no <laughs> we've no. even seen him on on the worst of game shows beat the clock do you remember beat the clock oh my god uh, yeah yeah and we 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 it's amazing. He, again, 100% committed to doing this, where the, the value of the money that people are winning is like 50 bucks. And you have to do incredibly embarrassing things like, you know, picking up balloons with your feet. And But Bill is there. He is committed. He is going to do it. He is going to win the money for his people. And he always wins. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have, to, uh, I have to bring this to a close. I've got a, something else coming up at 8. Um, is there any last questions you have? Well, I just want to say it has been so delightful talking to you, and I hope we can keep in touch because yeah, I love it. I, I love the fact that you're doing a podcast with Shanner. He's he's fantastic. <laughs> uh, is there anything of your own that you'd like to plug to our listeners? Do some shilling like Bill? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much crossover there is, but I've been doing a project recently where I look at sort of the. Uh, the uh, wilder world of the American Western and of country music called the uh, Wildest West. Um, and that can be found on Blogspot. It's, it's similar. I, I, I track down really obscure and weird films and write about them um, and, and sort of forgotten country and uh, non-country artists who are covering country music, um, like soul artists covering country music. So that's, that's a project I've been working on lately. Well, good. That sounds wonderful. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. It was absolutely delightful to speak with you. And who knows, we might be making it back through Minneapolis um, another time and we could get together and talk about Bill. Please do let me know if you're coming into town. I'd love to, I'd love to say hi. Great. Well, thank you, Max. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. 